Good morning, church. Today we get to read about Goliath. Actually, we read about David. If you don't know what's happening, you'll find out very soon. If you, have a, if you don't have a church Bible, if you uh, put your hand up, one of the ushers will bring it to you. We'll be reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we will read a few verses out of the chapter today. Uh, 1 through 11 at first, and then 32 to 49. It will be on the Church Pew Bibles, page 227. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Saco in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes the Min between Soco and Azak. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one of the hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, and he had a bronze, bronze helmet in his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves, and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the arms of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. 
David fasted on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. He took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with it, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bear in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with, with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved close to attack David, ran, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking uh, uh, out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well-known story, but it's uh, if you read, if you go back and read the whole story, I'm sure it'd be it's it's a rich story. Do um, do that because we don't have the time to go um, and read uh, read the whole chapter um, together. But let's pray that God will speak to us at this time. Lord, we thank you for the story. We thank you for the the your power and might that it reveals. Thank you for the example of David. Um, thank you that you are God who saves. And Lord, we pray that we'll be changed as we come to your word this morning. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you known anybody who is colorblind? I have a friend who's colorblind, and he wears the loudest clothes. I think some of the sort of, sort of ugliest clothes, but he wears it, I think, partly because he can't see all the colors, and he can't see how it's mismatching and things. People estimate that a normal person can see about one million shades of different color, and if you're colorblind, they only see about one percent of that, 10,000 different shades of color. But they can, these days, get those glasses. I don't know if you've seen videos on YouTube and things. Um, they're on there. You can get these glasses that allows them to see the world in colors as we would see. And it's really moving. Some people just smile 
But some people just break down in tears, tears of joy, because even in the ordinary things, they finally see the beauty of it. They see the fullness of reality, the, the vibrant colors all, that surround them all, um, all the time. What people see makes all the difference. And in the beginning of our story, in the beginning of our story, we see what the Israelites sees. And the Israelites really only see Goliath. Goliath and the armies, the might of the Philistines, that's all they see. That's what dominates our story. Take a look at the description of Goliath in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was about 9 feet 9 inches tall, or 3 meters. He had bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, bronze weighing, uh, weighing 125 pounds. I think I'm 155, so that's most of me uh, that's there. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and the bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So he visibly dominates the battle line. And not only that, he instills fear uh, with his voice as well, in front of the ranks of the Israelites' army, he steps forward and he shouts, verse 10, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. He challenges any man to battle and defies the entire armies of Israel. Faced with this giant, verse 11, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 24 again, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. We can also see how, uh, they de- how they, their fear in how they describe Goliath as well. They call him in verse 23, Philistine champion from Gath. Saul calls him in verse thir- 33, warrior from his youth. If we look at the beginning of the story, the main character of the story is Goliath, he dominates the story. Saul, who became the king of Israel because of God, does not mention God. Israel, God's chosen nation with the history of experiencing God's salvation, God's power through Exodus, again and again in in conquest of Canaan, and again and again their salvation through in the time of Judges, they do not call God. In fact, the word God in the narrative, does not appear until verse 26. Guess what? Until David enters the story. That's the first mention of God. Verse 26, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he he should defy the armies of the living God? The first mention of God in the story. The giant dominates Israelites' vision, and they can't see anything but Goliath. But here's the thing. Because they don't see God, they don't see reality very clearly. They can't see that they are Israelites, God's chosen people. The armies of Israel is the armies of God himself. That this guy who's defying the armies of Israel is defying God himself. They lost their theology. They lost their identity. They cannot see the reality clearly until David enters the story. He brings God into the narrative. Who is this uncircumcised man that defies the armies of the living God? Goliath is not a champion. He's not a warrior from youth. 
in David's eyes, he's just an uncircumcised Philistine who's defying God himself. Israelites ran away whenever they saw Goliath. Look what David does in verse 48 as he goes. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Everybody runs away. David runs towards Goliath. What's the difference? Well, God. Because David has lived in this reality with God. If you know anything about David's life, you know, you know David sang tons of songs. He composed many psalms. He, he, he thought about God. He interacted with God all the time. His life was saturated with God. He didn't live in this dualistic world where God lives over there and he here. No, where he lived, God was present. He, he, he was with God. He sang to God. He worshiped God. He led his sheep with God. He went after lions and bears with God and he was sure that God who was with him as he was attacking those animals would be with him as he goes towards Goliath. The reality looked very different to David because he had God in it. He saw a fuller reality. This is how Eugene Peterson um, uh, put it. The only person fully in touch with reality that day was David. Reality is made up of mostly what we can't see. Reality is made up mostly of what we can't see because Christ fills the reality. Friends, I wonder how you see the world. How do you see the world? When you look at the world, is it just material things? Is it just your accomplishments, CV and resumes, jobs, houses, money? There's so much more. There's so much more than that in this reality. And if you're a parent, I wonder if you're raising your children to care deeply about the spiritual things that are much more real than all the transient things that will come and go. Uh, To trust uh, in this living God, relying on this living God rather than themselves. I think most of us in Shatin Church try to do that. I think we try to live that way until at times when the problems get so big that all we see is the problem. We lose sight of God himself. Sickness, loneliness, job loss, broken relationships, failures of all different kinds. When these difficulties come, these overwhelm us. They, they cloud our vision. And maybe that's you right now. Many in Hong Kong, all they see is Hong Kong, all the violence, all the terrible things, and they question whether God is there with them. They question whether uh, 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 God is there at all. Friends, we need to see reality better. Most people see reality as with their eyes, but God does not see as we see, and we shouldn't either. It's not made up of just video clips and the YouTube videos and, and, and these Facebook posts and WhatsApp group messages that get passed along. It's their reality. But for us as Christians, we, like David, know that that's not even the half of it. You and I live in the world where God created the world that he guides and cares for. We live in a reality with God, God's power and might, and not just that, God's love and care for each one of us and over the city as well. You live in a world where God sent Jesus to be our Savior. 
knowing that he who did not spare his own son gave, up, gave him up for us all will graciously give us all things. We live in that world. We need to see reality better like David. And if we see the reality better, if we see that God fills rea- this reality, then we'll also be able to live for the right reasons as well. He's able to see, because David saw reality better, he's able to see what's at stake in this battle. They were fighting in the Valley of Elah, which was a very strategic point. It was a point in which, uh, through which uh, Philist- uh, Philistines would enter Israel. So it was a very important point. But David doesn't go into this battle because this is a strategic point worth defending. He went after Goliath because he saw that God's glory was at stake. God's honor was at stake. Remember, he asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He saw that this guy was defying the armies of the living God, that defying the armies of the living God is defying God himself. He saw that God's glory was at stake. And Goliath explicitly defies Yahweh God in verse 43 as he goes into his battle. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. This battle becomes theological battle. A battle between his gods and Yahweh God himself. And David knows now what's at stake. When Goliath, Goliath says that he would feed David into birds, to birds and to wild animals. David turns that insult around and says, it'll be Goliath that will be fed by them. So that, verse 46, so that the whole world might know that there is a God in Israel. That's why he's fighting. So that the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. He sees reality clearly. He sees what's at stake clearly. He's willing to stake his life, risk his life to defend God's honor and glory. But the fight scene is anticlimactic. It's not like Rocky, right? Where, where a Rocky Balboa, Balboa fights Captain Ivan Drago. He doesn't get beaten up for a while. He doesn't fall down and then comes back. You know, that's not, the story isn't like that at all. The whole thing ends very quickly. The chapter is made up of 58 verses. And the writer only uses two verses to describe the actual battle itself. It's like all build up and then scene and it ends. Uh, the commentators tell me that in Hebrew, David's speech leading up to the battle, the, the, the things that he says to Goliath, he, it makes up 63 words, while the combat report is made up of 36 words only. And this is why. This is why David talks so much up to the battle. This is why it's recorded, because the reason why Goliath is killed is much more important than the battle itself, than how he dies. God's glory to the, the, the writer and to the readers is much more important than the actual battle itself. David's concern for God's glory is much more important. He lived for it. And I wonder if that's what we are doing. What does God's honor and glory mean to you and don't take me the, uh, the wrong way i'm not suggesting that you be that annoying person 
who whenever Jesus or Christianity is mentioned in any negative way, you be that annoying person who, fight, who puts a fight. I don't want you to be like that. I, don't, I, I certainly don't mean that you go on in sort of some sort of religious uh, jihad uh, for Jesus. I don't, I, we live in a different time, and we live under a different covenant. But I certainly think that we ought to put God and his glory in the forefront of our lives. Church, what is your life about? What's your life about? All the studying, all the the working hard, making money, raising family, doing all the things that you do, what do you do it for? How much of that is for God's glory and honor? And how much of that is for you building up a name for yourself? How much of that is by, because you, your vision is filled with God's goodness and rea- God's power and God's love? Or how much of that is just dominated by your worries for this life? Church, what is your life about? Now let me ask that question in a slightly different way. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? Righteous anger is all the rage. <laughs> We're supposed to get mad about all sorts of injustices, environmental injustice, racial economic injustice. We're mad about Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, all kinds of other things. Justice warriors of many kinds are some of the angriest people. And we've certainly seen a lot of anger in the last few months against police brutality, acts of vandalism, incompetent government. I've done all of this myself as well. But look at what David gets angry about. He burned with anger when Goliath dishonors God's name. When was the last time that you were righteously angry because God's honor was at stake, because God's glory was at stake? Unfortunately, we aren't much like David. In fact, we're even like Goliath, perhaps even worse than Goliath. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But instead of defending God's name, instead, instead of hallowing God's name, we often dishonor and profane God's name with our words, in the ways that we live We get angry about everybody else, but when we sin, we're very quick to forgive ourselves, even though our actions and words have dishonored God, God's name. Ultimately, we make all sorts of excuses, and we do not take our sins seriously. Many of us stop getting angry at ourselves for our sins. When many of us stop struggling with our sins, we've gotten used to them. And when we Christians live in a way that blasphemes God, that brings dishonor to God's good name, it's much worse than Goliath blaspheming God's name. For we claim to be Christ, Christians. But thankfully, but thankfully this story isn't primarily, mainly about what we have to do. Because the Bible isn't primarily about what we have to do. It's not even about David's courage or cleverness or his faith and how that made all the difference. In fact, this whole story plays down David's role in the battle. We think that David is this great person that we should emulate. 
But, uh, the, uh, but what Saul and David say, I mean, what Saul and Goliath say about David are true. David is a puny little boy in front of a well-trained warrior, isn't he? He can't even carry a sword or wear a protective armor. He's too small for it. He's actually weak and vulnerable. Although he's handsome and glowing with, with health, he was little more than a boy, and he was the youngest. But remember, last week, God chose that boy. This story is about God's power. This, is, this story is about how God saves us. David says so with his lips in verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. It is God who delivers, and he did. Isn't that good news? That it's not us who have to save the world? It's not us who have to save even ourselves? You see, many people live their lives as if they're David. Like they have to face every problem that they face like David and, and live zealously for God like David did and defeat giants that are in, in, their, in their path like David. But let me ask you, do you really think that, that you can do that? When was the last time you sinned? Was it this morning or was it yesterday? I know I'm not like David. I, I, I know I'm unable to do that. And God has not put me in a position to save an entire nation or even myself. And we've seen how we are much like Goliath at times. If we're anything in this story, we're like the soldiers, Israelite soldiers. We're part of God's people, but as we face the big threats of our life, big threat of death and sin, we are helpless. We are terrified and dismayed. We do not trust in God, and we even doubt sometimes that he is in control. But thankfully, the message of the Bible is not that we have to save the world or ourselves. The good news of this chapter is that David, God's anointed Messiah came into the battlefield standing between the Israelites and Goliath. Standing between the Israelites and the Philistines, he took Goliath on. The future hung on the shoulders of David as the whole Israel watched. And David won. And Israelites got to enjoy the victory. The good news of the Bible is that we have our David the Messiah. Jesus is our man of the in-between. Pastor Tim Chester put it this way, Jesus stood between us and judgment, between us and death. Judgment and death bear down on us with the violent force threatening to destroy us. But Jesus has stood in between. He bore the full force of their fury. Our future hung on his shoulders as he hung on the cross. And he stayed on the cross, and he died for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, and as he rose again, he opened up a whole new future for us. Of course, we should imitate David. We should imitate Jesus. But thankfully, it's okay when we fail. It's okay that we fail because our future does not hang on our shoulders. 
on our ability to obey. It hung on Jesus' shoulders, and he stayed there until his death. And then he, uh, he came back to life on the third day, defeating death. Friends, we need to see reality differently. We need to see the reality differently. We are no longer, we should, we're no longer colorblind. Christians are people who see the reality fully, clearly, through the lens of faith. That small faith should change how we see the reality. The world should look different with God Almighty and God who loves us, who died for us in it. That small faith changes the reason why we live. We live for God, for, for God who has given himself for us. And most importantly, that faith changes who we are from enemies of God to children of God. People who are, who are already saved by grace alone. People whose gr- glorious future has been given as a gift. We have become the people of the risen king. All because Jesus has made our battle his battle. All because he died and he won that battle for us. That's our reality. Let's live in that. Please stand. And let's sing together of the next song. It's uh, uh, Come People of the Risen King. That's the, that, that's the song. Uh, let's live as God's risen, uh, 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 Christ risen peop- uh, Christ people, people of the risen king. And this is also the offering song. So if you have small children, please do, sorry, please do go and please go and pick them up. Um, uh, and if you're a guest with us, uh, I don't feel obliged to give anything at all. This is for the, uh, the church family. Let's sing together.